This is a Federal News Network podcast. The General Services Administration's Federal Building Service officials see a rare opportunity to reduce the federal government's office space. Nearly half of GSA leases will expire over the next four years, giving GSA a chance to shift people to government-owned buildings and save some money. They're also asking Congress for more money to catch up on maintenance. For more on federal real estate, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Agencies are reconsidering their office space needs amid the COVID-19 pandemic. That gives the General Services Administration an opportunity to shrink the amount of leased office space used by the federal government. GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan told members of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee this week that 40 percent of its leases will expire over the next four years. That gives GSA a window to shift tenant agencies to properties the government already owns. Carnahan says agencies could save $2 billion annually if they take advantage of this opportunity, but that's only if GSA gets help from Congress to address a $9.5 billion backlog of maintenance projects at federal buildings. That's only going to happen if the space is maintained well and agencies want to go there and it's the type of space that meets their mission needs. So this is just a unique confluence of events where we have deferred maintenance We have leases coming up. We have agencies rethinking how much space they need. This is a smart time to invest. GSA collects about $10 to $11 billion a year in rent from tenant agencies. About half goes toward GSA paying its lease obligations. The other half typically goes to federal building maintenance, but Congress in recent years has only appropriated about $3.5 to $4 billion annually towards this end. Carnahan says agencies aren't financially motivated to give up property either. Tenant agencies don't see the proceeds from the sale of their former office space and must persuade Congress to appropriate funds for new construction. There's just not a lot of incentive for them to make that change because the budget process is set up in a way that sort of it it encourages the status quo. Since fiscal 2018, GSA has already renegotiated more than 1,100 leases to below market rates and moved agencies from more than 200 leased spaces to federally owned space. GSA saved $4.5 billion in lease costs through this consolidation. Nina Albert, the commissioner of GSA's Public Building Service, says the government can consolidate further and save even more money, but only if GSA keeps the buildings it owns in good working order. The coming five years promise to achieve even greater space and cost savings, and reinvesting in federally owned facilities will be key to this strategy. Unfortunately, we are coming from behind, and too many federal buildings have fallen into a state of disrepair due to lack of consistent funding for maintenance. To gain the full benefit of building ownership and to be the best stewards of the American taxpayer dollar, we must address the growing list of deferred maintenance projects. Dina Titus is the chairwoman of the Subcommittee on Economic Development, Emergency Management, and Public Buildings. She says more than half of the federal buildings in GSA's portfolio are over 50 years old, and more than a quarter of them are 75 years old. Beyond upkeep of those historic properties, Titus says GSA also needs to ensure that new federal buildings are built with resiliency in mind. We have several things that we want to consider. One is how to make them sustainable, how to make them healthy, how to make them perhaps fit some of the lead standards so we know that they're energy efficient. We can't just build back better. We have to include resiliency considerations in the buildings that we construct in the future. The future of the federal workplace post-pandemic isn't clear just yet, but that doesn't mean agencies aren't thinking about it. 
Albert says some agency officials have told GSA they expect to reduce their office space following the pandemic. But she says progress on this front will require more dialogue with tenant agencies. No one's prepared to make a hard line decision right now because many customers are waiting to get back into full reentry mode, see how employees are starting to use space and what the hybridized model looks like for their agency and for their people. But we're hearing back from people anywhere between 20% reductions all the way up to 50% reductions, which is in line with what GSA's own expectations are. So it'll depend agency by agency. It's going to be an ongoing conversation, but we do believe that overall for the federal government, we will be able to reduce the footprint. To help shape that future federal workplace, GSA is creating opportunities for agencies to take advantage of workplace flexibilities. More specifically, flexibilities made possible by the federal workforce embracing telework during the pandemic. The agency in September awarded a first-of-its-kind contract to WeWork and four other vendors to provide flexible co-working spaces to federal employees nationwide. The contract awards mark just one pillar of GSA's Workplace 2030 initiative, which reimagines how and where federal employees will get their work done. Under this initiative, GSA expects to provide dedicated co-working space to other agencies at its headquarters. That includes individual workstations and conference rooms. GSA is also pursuing a home office in a box concept as part of Workplace 2030. That'll give workers the option to furnish a home office with the equipment needed to keep teleworking. Carnahan says Workplace 2030 is an opportunity to support agencies at a time when they realize they don't need so much office space. Agencies are rethinking what their space needs are because they've just spent 20 months with people teleworking and they know that this is going to change going forward. So there's not a lot of times in government, certainly, that there is a there is a seismic shift in how people are thinking about how they deliver service. And we're at that moment. So the question is whether we're going to be smart and take advantage of it. The way we do that is we create incentives for people to move into shared space. GSA hosted a virtual event last week with 40 agency customers interested in learning more about federal co-working spaces. Albert says the federal co-working space contracts excel at meeting agencies' short-term office space needs and giving agencies flexibility and mobility for their employees. She says the contract also emphasizes the need for federal employees to have collaborative space when they're back working in offices. This is the great experiment, candidly, for both the private sector and the public sector. Everyone understands that the future of work will be more designed with flexibility and mobility in mind, where different people are going to need different spaces. But what they value when they come to an office is collaboration and other kinds of spaces. So we are going to have to evolve our own spaces. And having access to co-working space allows agents to decide what kinds of spaces they think they need without the federal government making an upfront capital investment in delivering that kind of space. So we can use this as an opportunity for agencies to come back to us, say, hey, I've been using a lot of this kind of space over that kind of space, and that's what I want in the future. Not all of the subcommittee members, however, see a remote federal workforce as an asset. Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne says long wait times for her constituents to get help from agencies suggests that federal employees are not being as productive working remotely compared to working out of the office. What my constituents and I have seen is a non-responsive federal workforce 
Wait times are out of control, and it's clear that agencies such as the IRS, Social Security, USCIS are not being effective while working remotely. Jory Heckman, Federal News Network. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me 
and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. 
Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.